0: This is episode 77 with Ed Barton of Virtuality.
1: This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn
0: how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. It's Kirsten Ross. And uh, this week, I actually have a um, a creator who raised close to a hundred thousand U.S., uh, launching a virtual reality T-shirt called Virtuality. Um, really, really cool concept, and I I know that like Ed Barton. Um, he got intro well, actually no, he just he reached out to me because he was or still is a listener of the podcast and he's like, I love what you're doing. I'm getting ready to launch this project. And I ended up jumping on the phone with him for about thirty minutes. And um a few months later when I was over in the UK, we met up and like, you know, he's up to some pretty amazing things and i was like ed i'd love to have you on the show because he has such an innovative product that has its own risks and challenges for developing something um truly cutting edge but also it's just been amazing to watch his journey to see what are some of the doors that have opened through crowdfunding so ed i'm really excited to have you on the show
1: yes i'm, I'm really excited to be on it and definitely like Weird, weird thing to say at the front of a podcast, but I remember like spending time like every time I went and had like a bath at home in February and January of this year, I always listen to your podcast to try and get on, trying to find out like little secrets and little bits of information that might help when we launched in March.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Um, what would you say has been your favorite episode or like the one that um, stands out to you the most?
1: Um, so... I definitely i can't remember this specific one it was but there was one around um facebook marketing and cracking that i think it was a guy who had released i think he Rabian? raised something like five hundred thousand dollars i think it was that one yeah it was it would have yeah. been around february and cracking facebook marketing is obviously very tough but very rewarding when you do it right
0: yeah because it's a uh, bryce fisher from ravian they raised I I know this because a uh, few other people have raved about that, but um, they were losing money on their ad spend. And then with this one little tweak, they were profitable and ended up raising 1.3 million um, for their yep. heated down jackets or their smart yep. down jackets or, or whatever. And it's just, so it's episode 33. If you guys want to listen to it, it's like awesome because Facebook marketing to a crowdfunding campaign is completely different from e-commerce. Um, And it's good that he shared that information. So I guess people like us don't make expensive mistakes.
1: (laughs) Yes, definitely. It was really, yeah, like the rewards we got from Facebook marketing, I mean, they pretty much made the whole campaign happen to
0: be honest. Oh, that's amazing. So tell them, just because I gave a very high level view of what virtuality is, but um, I'd love to hear your journey with what, what it is first off, and then how you came up with the idea and why you wanted to crowdfund it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the company, Kuroscope, which creates the products and experiences that we release, is all about using virtual reality and augmented reality to change how we engage with subjects. So we think VR and A are incredible engagement points for understanding about a topic or being enlightened about it. Um, The virtuality is the manifestation of that in AR and we always thought that science, biology, the body is probably one of the most incredibly interesting things that is. Like the way our bodies work is just fascinating. Um but we go into classes and we'd ask kids, we're like, what what subjects do you hate? People say biology and we thought there was kind of an opportunity to change that dynamic. And um, so the virtuality is a T shirt. Um, but it's a t shirt with, I guess, magic powers in the sense that you point your phone or VR headset or tablet at it. And it's like you can see inside the body. So we use a t shirt to track the anatomy. And then we have what's bordering on photorealistic heart animations and the rest of the organs that you can actually see inside the body. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting project. It's very different to anything that anyone else has done in AR but we're very excited about and this is one of the reasons we wanted to release the product was we think AR and VR are accessible technologies right now and we're very excited about releasing something that costs $30 as opposed to 3000
0: Yeah I love that and with everything that's happening with VR and AR right now I, I know the sky is the limit for where that technology is going but what was it a like why did you want to focus on you mentioned going into high schools and asking kids what their the subject was that they hated the most like what why did you want to stick to the school systems and younger kids for this like what inspired that
1: yeah so i think i mean our background isn't specifically with working with kids we used to run an animation studio um and i don't know like we saw vr and AR coming up and we've known that the level of technology that we've got in the virtuality isn't anything particularly new but we know that there's an interesting way that you can use it and definitely one of the things we think that's really exciting about VR and AR is this idea of either bringing an experience to you in AR or in VR transporting you somewhere else. Basically the idea of giving people as many different experiences as possible so that we can create this engagement point. I mean one of the fascinating things that I came across was um, you um, Chris Hadfield, the astronaut, and how he um, was inspired to become an astronaut. And it was obviously the Apollo moon landing. We're really, VR and AR just felt to us like this really interesting mechanism to create millions of little Apollo moon landing moments for kids and actually change a child who maybe does become disengaged with school as they get older because they go into this examination system and actually spark a bit of curiosity or a bit of intrigue in a subject.
0: Yeah, I love that. It's experiential learning as opposed to just, you know, reading the textbook, which is what, I mean, that whole mentality is what got me out of the sciences and university into actually doing stuff and like, you know, I know with the painting business I was running before, like I would be skipping classes to go knock on doors. Um, Cause for me, I like doing things. I don't like that. And I think the way that um, the solution that you're giving the kids to become more engaged with the subjects in school, like specifically anatomy is, uh, is really awesome. So I'm wondering, like it's, it's cool. Cause you have a product that is going to be used by, kids in school system um who did you find was actually buying your products on kickstarter during your launch
1: yeah i mean that's that's really interesting like our audience is quite hard to define i guess and we found it a little bit hard to define beforehand we knew that schools would be interested we knew the teachers would be interested but quite equally a lot of the audience on kickstarter is just very into gadgets and cool stuff Um, So I'd say uh, the eventual backers probably ended up being 50-50 split in terms of just grown-ups who liked cool stuff, who would often buy it for for a child but would often buy two so they could have one themselves, Um, and then teachers and schools. And we found that uh, probably the most repeat business we've had um, in the last few months has been from teachers who found the projects and maybe bought one at the time, but have come back and actually bought loads because they want it in every classroom in their entire school.
0: That's fantastic. And, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that Facebook ads was a huge chunk of your funding. Um, did you, how did you determine your audience? Like, did you just have a good gut feeling and you did Facebook ads to target those specific people or did you do some initial testing?
1: Um, so we did we did some initial testing. I think, I mean, this is definitely like a recurring theme in your podcast, and it's definitely the advice that everyone gives at top of anything, but it's all about what you do as preparation. I think anyone who does a Kickstarter will probably wish that they'd done another two or four weeks, because I don't think you can ever do enough of it. Um, so we did some level of that testing. We had a Facebook audience before we launched, not huge but about ten thousand people liked our page and we had a similar sized audience on youtube which was also a good way to capture people it was a good way to picture the kind of people that we were targeting but i mean when it came down to it i think a lot of people who kickstarter and crowdfunding is interesting because a lot of people who back it are repeat backers they're people who understand kickstarter and Crowdfunding more generally. And we had, again, probably a 50 50 split in terms of people who were coming onto the project and backing it for the first time. So there was a level of education and outreach to that audience. But I guess our Facebook ads were probably primarily targeted at people who already knew what Kickstarter and Indiegogo and crowdfunding was because we thought, and this proved true, these were the easiest people to convert and bring onto the project.
0: Yeah, definitely. And um, because you had. Bit of a sizable audience beforehand through, um, like 10,000 likes on your Facebook page and a good YouTube following. Did you focus on building an email list before you launched?
1: Um, yes. So, I mean, we focused on building an email list. It's definitely one of the things that I wish we'd done more about. Um, we ended up with a newsletter list of about 3000 and I wish that was 10,000 plus because I think it would have changed exponentially what we were doing.
0: Yeah. Um, one, uh, one question a lot of creators might have ahead of time is like, okay, well, how can I build an email list when I'm not even selling anything? I'm curious, like what sort of, uh, conversation, you, not conversation, but like what kind of bait you use to get people onto your email list? Like what was the exchange? Like sign up and this is what you're getting in return. Like, what, what did that look like for you?
1: Yeah, bait is a good word. I think we actually used... So one of the things we released at the start of the year was a VR experience around great white sharks, um, which has since gone on to become probably top five most viewed VR experiences of all time. Um, at the time, it had slightly less views. It had a million or so, or so, but we were using that to bring people in to this idea of the curioscope ethos, this idea that... VR and AR can be these kind of engines of curiosity. Um, Then beyond that, I think it was actually physically taking our prototype out on the road. So for the two months before we launched, we went to a few events in Europe and locally in London where we actually demoed it with people and occasionally filmed it so people could see that this was a real thing and this was coming. But one of the hard things that I guess we have with a project like ours is that in a sense it kind of appears like vaporware because it's to some people particularly people who aren't engaged in the tech world this is just such an unreal thing that you can see inside the body we've actually had doctors and medical professionals reach out to us who've actually purchased the product who are like why does why does this work on a table for example why why can i not actually see inside the person because it looks so believable so that was certainly one of the challenges we had at the start was trying to produce marketing that brought people into what we're doing, but also showed them that this was a real tangible thing that wasn't a $2,000, $3,000 pipe dream. This was actually something that could happen.
0: It's, um, you're not the first person who has uh, built an email list from events. And I think it's really important, especially Especially showing that this thing really works because there's something with crowdfunding where, you know, backers are, um, just, you know, they're getting screwed. Like they, they keep backing certain projects that don't get delivered on time or they go bankrupt. And it's all because, um, creators were too early in the product creation stage. Like, they're just like, I have this idea. I'm going to throw it up on Kickstarter and see what happens. But, so I think it's really awesome that you physically showed that this worked because it, proves that you can deliver something and that's great for trust. Um, What I'm wondering is when you bring the prototype to events and you show people, how do you convert them onto an email list? Like, were you just saying like, yeah, give me your card and I'll add you manually. Or did you do some announcement at the event where they can sign up themselves? Like, how did you facilitate that?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great question. I think honestly, I think probably 80 to 90 percent of the mailing list that we had was built up with contacts that we already knew the extra 20 percent was there was one event that we went to in january where we had where we just did it a bit rogue um so we weren't we didn't have a stand at the event we just went with the t-shirts on and we were literally walking around with a tablet pointing just throwing the tablet in front of them, jumping, getting my co-founder Ben to jump in front of me so they could see it working. And that usually got them to realize that we weren't like the usual kind of people you get at an event who'd bring you in and try and sell you a whiteboard or something. We were actually doing something quite cool. And um, and then we just switched over to the MailChimp app on my tablet, signed them up that way. And I think like... Probably 50% of those people went on to buy the product because they'd seen it. They knew that we were real, tangible people with a real product. We got to kind of embellish the story a bit with them and actually talk about what we're doing as a broader thing. Um, But one of the downsides to that, I guess, was that it's very time consuming. And it was me and Ben traipsing around a big conference hall for three or four days. And actually, Ben and was ill for the next seven days because it took so much out of us and so yeah i'd say the majority of the people that we ended up engaging with we ended up bringing into the product were people who already bought into us as people and what we were doing as a company so for example the releases we put out beforehand
0: yeah i do like i hear you on the events taking an excessive amount of energy um I feel that it's good to have a balance. Like, because some founders are too scared to go out and talk to people. But I think that what you did by going out there, like, you had real conversations with people and you got to see what their or hear what their questions were to you and how they perceived it, which I'm sure really helped you understand your audience and their motivations for why they would buy this. And really helped you position this as like an amazing product. So I think like those conversations were probably invaluable to you. Even if you went in there and got like no email addresses, I still think it's like great for research.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think it's also great to make it feel real. I think one of the big things that we've taken out of 2016 and releasing a product was we were actually like putting ourselves out there. And I think the quicker you do with that you do that with a crowdfunded Kickstarter product, the quicker you make it real, the quicker you can build on that momentum, change it if it needs to be changed, work out how to market it. I think it's super important to do that. And honestly, like, we did it two months in advance. I wish we'd done it three or four months in advance.
0: Yep, fair enough. Now, going into, I love how you had a prototype, like, proof of concept before you actually launched this thing. Um... And you finally, like you delivered, you are telling me like offline about between six weeks and three months late, which is nearly early in crowdfunding terms. Um, I'd love to talk about um, why it wasn't delivered on time and sort of what sort of how you've been spending your time after the campaign to make sure that you could fulfill as quickly as possible so that um, other listeners can see behind the scenes of what that looks like so they can properly prepare for it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I don't know, something that's always interest, interested me and it's one of the reasons I reached out to you is there is another side to the front that you often see of um, technology companies and startups. One of my favorite other podcasts is the Startup Podcast because it's actually about real life and real problems that businesses face. Um, and certainly I think that's the case with crowdfunding. Often you see campaigns that do five six million plus dollars but then they've got 10 to 20, backers and the logistical implications of that are like obscene and um, so from our perspective it was i guess it was great that we had a prototype again i wish we'd done more with that prototype because there was still probably a little bit too much prototyping to do on the other side of it and actually turning something in from a proof of, proof of concept where it shows the body into something that's photorealistic, that ticks our quality boxes. And like I'm far too much of a perfectionist in that sense. So that's hard to kind of manage that and try and make the app as good as it possibly can be. So that that kind of thing takes time. Um, testing takes time. Sourcing production, takes time I think we're ultimately we're just creating a t-shirt but there are huge quality stipulations that we have that aren't cohesive with the t-shirt industry at large we need very strict guidelines on alignment and where the design is because ultimately that's what creates the link up with the app so getting that working was a lengthy process Um, and then there are The global economic factors that happened over the course of last year that we weren't prepared to—I think a lot of people weren't—global things that happened. Brexit, absolutely. I think like the word of twenty sixteen, or at least it was until um, November, and the implications on the pound were huge. Like it lost twenty to twenty five percent of its value overnight. Um. And we'd always set up a campaign We're fairly American focused as a company, despite being in the UK, 60% of our backers were in the US. So we wanted to produce the product in America, but overnight it became 25% more expensive. And considering the amount of backers we had was 1,600, we were shipping something like 3,000 units, suddenly that was a huge cost and there was a lag on being able to cope with shifting all that to the UK where we eventually produce the product. Um, and every Kickstarter campaign is built with the best intentions and we had contingency in place. We had things that we were aware of that would happen like this, but I guess you will find anyone who is doing a Kickstarter campaign, anyone who has done one, almost everything that you have planned will change or go wrong or something else will happen and you have to be able to be mentally resilient to that as much as anything else and personally I really hate letting people down so even the fact that we delivered for two-thirds of our backers I think it was like six to eight weeks late was really really hard for me to deal with and I hate dealing with people who aren't happy and don't believe in us because of these things but I don't think anyone in the world predicted that things like Brexit would happen and that the subsequent implication of that would be a currency devaluation of 20, 25%. And that was fairly hard to deal with whilst running the project, whilst trying to maintain a company that was eventually going to deliver this and then deliver further products that we've got coming out this year.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, So when you, launched your campaign you had how far in development were you like did had you a secured a manufacturer at this point or are you just waiting until after you knew what your um quantities were before you did that
1: um yes we'd secured we'd secured a manufacturer in the u.s who we were very happy with and we talked about fulfillment with them we talked about unit costs we talked about quality standards um But I guess in hindsight, I would have loved to have contingency for that in the UK. But I guess it's very easy to say with hindsight, with a lot of things, I think we felt like we had the right things in place, but ultimately things happened that made it a bit difficult. And we had to claw back a bit of that so that we could deliver the products and make sure that we delivered 100% of our products before Christmas, because being for kids that was like the biggest thing in the world I kind of felt like it had to be there yeah like in the weeks before and we were trying to do things like deliver to completely the other side of the world um one or two weeks before Christmas from the UK which is very very hard and expensive to do and a lot of the time I swallowed the cost and often paid shipping costs that matched the overall backer price or even higher to make sure that people got the products. I think, I don't know, that's always been something that's built into me. It's like, you should do the right thing and people buy into that, I hope.
0: Yeah, they do. They definitely do. What are you going to say? Like, oh, I'm I'm going to be cheap and not pay the extra whatever it is, and it's going to be delivered three weeks later than Christmas, even though you promised your kid it'd be here for Christmas. Like, I, I don't know. It's just, even if you selfishly um, paid the extra cost just so that you didn't have, to, so that you would peace of mind knowing that the kid would have it there in time and they would be mad at you, you know, it's like that is the right thing to do because that's what you promised and people are going to appreciate that for future things that you do. And, you know, your customers aren't just a one-time thing. As you said, you have a lot of repeat customers. So these things that you do are going to really help um with getting, um, like, you know, just having those raving fans and future things you do. So...
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think, I know one of the things I've taken out of my experience in 2016 is that communication is absolutely key because when we were delaying the product silence is not the answer and you see a lot of crowdfunding campaigns who don't engage with their customers and people who really bought into what they're doing enough post-campaign and I think we got so much out of just being really open and really transparent with people this is why there is a problem this is how we're working towards it and of course there's going to be people that aren't happy about that like a lot of our backers being from off the platform didn't understand why the product didn't arrive a week after, let alone six to eight months. Um, but certainly being honest with them and being transparent, letting them know what we're doing, spending time crafting what you're going to say, like paid absolute dividends. Like We have a lot of people who really, really appreciated that particularly people from other companies who've built products, who understand that this is par of the course with new companies and it's part of the course with crowdfunding. This is what happens almost all the time because it is incredibly hard. It's not like shipping an app. It is like, for us, it was like shipping an app and a product at the same time that had to work together. And that's quite hard considering we've never shipped a physical product before.
0: Yeah, no, completely get it. And uh, it's amazing that you mentioned great customer um, just being in close contact with them. Uh, There was a campaign I was on early days, and I have no affiliation with the company anymore. Just disclaimer any of the backers that are listening. Um, But after the campaign wrapped up, they had promised delivery um, around, like, say, three months before we're recording this. And the founder doesn't have any infrastructure in place for customer service. Like, no one's banning their social media channels. No one's replying to comments on the crowdfunding site. Uh, the info at email is bouncing, and the founder's nowhere to be seen. And so they, like, legitimately are in China sourcing and fixing the you know, problems and just um, trying to get this thing out as quickly as possible, but without any a visibility online or replying to people, um, they sent out an update as saying like, okay, we're missing one piece of our thing and because Chinese New Year, this is common, we're going to um, check back. And as soon as we know data delivery, we're hoping this shall be like wrapped up by Q1 and that's all he said. And then um, four days go by of, of backers commenting and it turns into like a shit show because the founder's not dealing with it. So it escalates from like, Hey, um what do you mean? And then nothing. And then it goes from like, oh, another campaigns run off with our money. And then it's going from, oh my god, lawsuit. And then I got contacted by the press in the UK because a few of the backers wanted to take this m- to mainstream press and I was just like, whoa, calm down. It like I don't know, from my perspective, I haven't spoken to founder in 6 months, but it really looks like they're legitimately um just being dumb and not replying to comments, but it looks like they are manufacturing this. Like the founders in China, like just wait to hear back from him. And I like panicked and started like, I called the founder. I was like, dude, you cannot ignore your people. Like you don't understand the repercussions of this. Cause they they're a community and they will gang up on you and they just think worst case scenario. And you just you can avoid all of that by just being transparent with them. You know?
1: Yeah. I completely agree. I think the biggest advice I would give to anybody who's successfully funded a crowdfunding campaign is just be as quick as you can with responding to people because these are people that have really bought into you and you owe them something for that and I'm sure there's going to be people that have fallen through the cracks or don't feel like I dealt with them quickly enough but I definitely made it a policy of every single morning checking my emails, checking the comments, making sure I replied to everyone, ideally within 24 hours, if I could, because these are people who have backed you on the basis of some text on a page and a video, like they've taken a punt that you're doing something really cool. And I think you owe them something for that.
0: Which is communication, really. So
1: yeah, I think that's the least you owe them is just being transparent, telling them what's going on, letting getting them into the process because I mean that's one of the reasons you fund a project as well you like it's interesting learning about a company and finding out about what your money has enabled what is going on what are they doing to overcome problems because everyone has problems like this business business is just a string of problems that you have to overcome to get to the successes that exist on along the way and you just have to be very upfront and quick and transparent with dealing with it because these are your customers and these people who really appreciate what you do.
0: Absolutely. Um, So now that uh, you've been successfully funded, you've successfully delivered product, what are some other things you guys have in the works for Virtuality and Curioscope?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, with the Virtuality, I think we've shipped to everyone so we've got over that part of the journey but certainly we're very interested in I mean my personal objective with that product is to have it in every school in the entire world like that would be an incredible thing to give to the world and it'd be an incredible thing to give to Curioscope in terms of enabling the bigger picture that we're trying to create so I'm very interested in how we can enable that and I don't necessarily think it happens in case of me going to every single school in the world i think it's about how we build up the picture that exists around the virtuality around curoscope and getting people coming to us and i think that's what been one of the really nice things in the last month since we shipped on Kickstarter is that we opened up soft orders on our website and people are buying these in great volume and i'm really excited that We'll be able to take it to retail in the next two or three months. And I'm really excited that there are some licensing deals opening up around the world where we can... I mean, the goal with this product is not to sell three or 4,000 as we have done already. The goal of this product is definitely to sell well into the hundreds of thousands because it's super accessible, super exciting, really kind of changes how people think about it. And then more broadly, CureScape. Is a bigger business than just the t shirt. It's, as I was saying at the start of the show, it's it's about how we use VR and AR to engage people. It's how we change someone from hating science to loving science. So we've got some big VR releases that we'd be pushing out in 2017 on the back of the other thing that we did last year, which was the Great White Sharks Experience, which is now on something like. 14 or 15 million views on YouTube, which for a VR experience is fairly unheard of. So spinning that and the success of the virtuality into the next product we create is very important and I'm making this a business that is about what Curascope does rather than just being a crowdfunding project because a crowdfunding project is a step along the way to what we ultimately want to do.
0: I love that. I'm actually going to find uh Can you send me over a link to the Great White Shark experience? I want to put that in the show yeah. notes. I want to check that yeah, out. I definitely can. I feel like a bit of a celebrity. It's one of the top five viewed ever for AR and VR.
1: Yes. I don't know. Don't, don't quote me on that, but it's got a lot well, of views. And
0: still. <laughs> it's still really cool. We should probably still check it's it out. very,
1: very well viewed. Um, it's yeah still getting one to one and a half million views a month which again in the world of youtube videos is barely unheard of like normally as with Kickstarter funding there's a really high peak towards the start and then it tails off this one's been doing yeah over a million views per month for the last 12 months in a row so very exciting what that's doing in the world of vr
0: yeah i love that and so Um, My last question is, do you have any famous last words for other creators that are starting the journey that you did over a year ago?
1: Um, Yes. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's definitely a cliched last words, but the more you put in at the start, the more you get out. I think the big thing we found out about our campaign was the first 48 hours are almost everything and every bit of work you've done that you put into that will come back out. But actually after that it's very, very difficult to recover a campaign. You're never gonna get the spike that you get in the first forty eight hours. You might get a little bit of one to towards the end and maybe you should prepare towards that as well. But certainly line up as much press as possible beforehand. Prototype your product beforehand. Like ideally get that product as close to being a real product as possible beforehand. And do all that, put all the effort in beforehand and you'll be successful. Like it's categoric, like put that effort in and you'll get something equivalent to that out the other end.
0: I love it. You should just run the podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm getting quite good. I did a podcast an hour ago, so I'm in podcast mode.
0: Perfect. Um, I got you yeah. at the right time then, <laughs> even though we, um, cause we kept canceling on each other cause you were so head deep in, uh, production stuff. And then I would, uh, sick so like let's just get this in now that's so been uh yes. i'm
1: glad we did but yeah november and december for me were all about shipping shipping at a cost of everything like i had to get it out and i think i don't know like that was again like i was saying really really important to me to reward the people who have rewarded us by showing faith in us
0: exactly and that's really where you should have been spending your time um so speaking of, if people want to find out more about what you're doing or uh, stuff, where's a good place to send them online?
1: Yes. Um, so our Facebook page is very good. We are Curiscope on Facebook, Twitter, Curiscope.com. That's spelled C-U-R-I-S-C-O-P-E.com. And then I'm Ed Barton, again, Twitter, Facebook, wherever. Um, you'll find me, but Curiscope, web website is where we have everything it's where you can purchase the product it's where you can watch the great white shark experience and we're certainly very active on facebook and youtube
0: okay amazing so this has been fun thanks so much for being on the show
1: thank you very much it's a pleasure it's really good to get on it in the end
0: (laughs) yeah Hey everyone, thanks for listening to that episode. Now, are you in the middle of planning your crowdfunding campaign or thinking of one and you don't really know whether crowdfunding is right for you? Well, head over to crowdfundinguncut.com. I have the ultimate product launch checklist that will outline step-by-step what you need to do to, wait for it, have a successful launch. Um, It takes the strategies I've used to launch uh, five fully funded successful campaigns and broken it down over a six month timeline to what the heck you need to do starting today, right up until the end of your campaign. So, uh, crowdfundinguncut.com and guys, if you are enjoying the information, please do also head over to iTunes and leave a review for crowdfunding uncut. It does help the show get found by other listeners. And, um, frankly, you know, I'm doing the show to make sure that you guys don't make expensive mistakes and have the blueprint you need to launch a successful campaign when you are fully educated on what that takes. So again, um, iTunes, crowdfundinguncut.com, you got it, and we will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Backerkit. Backerkit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software tool that helps you with customer upsells, surveys, and anything you need for fulfillment and keeping your customer data organized. They streamline the process so that you don't need to be focusing on spreadsheets when instead you could be focusing on what you need to be doing, which is getting beautiful products out to your backers on time. Head over to backerkit.com. And for the crowdfunding uncut community, use code UNCUT, UNCUT, at checkout to save 50% off of their startup services.